Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. As always, I am Pastor Dustin here with Steve Prudian, and uh, we are we're just kind of in the Bible today. Our classroom uh, study has ended, the Job study has ended, and Sunday school is over, and we're going on to the next thing for the summer. But Steve, before we get into that, how are you? I'm doing great today. Thank you. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Um, so why don't you, why don't you let us know kind of what's going on? What is the plan for the summer? Well, I've heard that God doesn't go on vacation. I've heard that too. And I've heard that God is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week God. Yes, he is. And, um... I believe that he is available for us any time we have a need or any time we want to bring a request unto him. Yes. Yes, he is. So because he doesn't take any time off, I'm reluctant that um, we take time off in the summertime. But I do know that as human beings, we have created erratic schedules around our lives and around our families. Oh, very much so, yes. And what that does is, is that creates um, a, a lack of continuity in any type of teaching effort. I agree. So, however, I don't like to ignore God. No. Especially if he has something to say, even during times that people are taking vacations. My feeling is, 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 is that the church is a representative of God. Mm -hmm. And as a representative of God, of God, that when whatever part of the family is meeting, that that part of the family should be considering God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in their lives. However, we don't necessarily have to have a classroom to do that. Correct. I have found, even with you, Dustin, some of the best conversations we have have not been either in the sanctuary or in a classroom. Right. So taking that to heart, I've had um, four rabbis in my life. A rabbi is a teacher who's actually invested his life, what he's learned— into my life, and I didn't even realize what they were doing until it was all over. Okay. In all honesty, I believe that is the work in the hand of God to bring a, a more mature person beside me to show me what it is that I would need to learn. Okay. So what I decided—actually, I did not decide this. I was impressed— one night that it would be good to have a vehicle or a setting in order to just share what's on God's heart. And that is called a devotional. Yes. And as you know, I've written several devotionals. I think I gave you one a couple of weeks ago. Yes, you did. Okay. But uh, I don't ever write devotionals for really for anybody else other than for myself. 
All right. So I decided that what I would do is, is I would start with a fresh idea from God because I didn't want to pull out something from a drawer. And so God gave me a fresh devotional for this Sunday. All right. But instead of holding it in the classroom, I'm going to hold it right in the middle of the cafe. All right. And uh, devotionals will be handed to people who can want to come. They can come and they can go. They can stay as long as they want. They can just come and pick up a devotional if they want. Uh, hopefully mm -hmm. they will, because I hope that they'll take that devotional and they'll actually um, work through it during the course of the week and maybe come back for the next devotional. And so that is my plan for the summer, to have something for those people who actually want to be devoted to God. Yep. No, it sounds like a great idea, and it's something that uh, you're planning on doing every Sunday. Every Sunday, same plot, same spot, same time. Yep. Right after service in the uh, in the cafe area, mm -hmm. you're going to be at a table, and right, you'll have something to uh, distinguish your table. Well, yes, I'm going to put up a tent sign that has us table talk, okay, because that's what the table is for for us to talk, and the idea will be the devotional we'll be talking about. Mm -hmm. Now, because of the fact I don't want to blow a whistle, and I don't want, <laughs> and I don't want to pound on the table with a hammer, and I don't want to break a piece of glass, okay, and I don't want to ring a bell, that you will know it's time for devotions when you hear music coming from a center table. All right. All right. We will look forward to that, and we will listen for that on Sunday. And uh, as has kind of been our custom— you and I are going to discuss the topic, just like we were doing with Job. Every, we're, we're just going to keep doing the same thing. We're just right. shifting from the classroom discussion to the open discussion. Well, you and I, Dustin, have basically have working out a textual material. Right. Okay. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter in many cases. Yep. Um, but this is lighter. Okay. Yes, it is. Very much lighter. This, this is lighter, and it lends itself better to a coffee time or a table talk right. or a casual time. And actually, um, I think that people will take away something more personal rather than just information or knowledge if, in fact, they work their way through the devotion during the course of the week. Right. Right. And, you know, devotion... Devotional study is very different than theological study, and we've mm -hmm. been focused the last months on theology, and now we're going to get into devotion. Do you know what devotion means? What does that mean? Devotion means enhancing your relationship mm -hmm. with your God. Yep. Yep, very good. And devotional devotionals usually are supposed to lend themselves to prayer and meditation, Oh, absolutely. But absolutely. a lot of people will just read something on the run and say, that was a nice devotional, but yep. that was never the intent of the devotion writer. Well, that's, um, I, you're absolutely correct. And that's kind of why um, the very first scripture you put in here is... I the, listen, I don't write the devotionals. I just pen them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we can... We can certainly acknowledge that, um, although I may misspeak and, and attribute to you what I should be attributing to God, but 
we will we can acknowledge right off of the forefront, God is speaking and writing through right. you. You give credit where credit's due. Yep. And so anything we reference to you, we know is God. Um, but the first the first scripture in this is known as the Shema. And Deuteronomy 6, 4, um, and you have through 5. I actually, the Shema is 6, 4, and 5. I like that whole paragraph. You could read it. I like that whole paragraph. I'm actually going to do something a little bit different. And what's that? Okay, I'm going to a different text than we have used previously. And... I'd like to know what that is. Okay. So what I have pulled up is I have an English translation of the Septuagint. Okay. And so for the listeners out there who have no idea what I just said, because it's they all Greek to them. They is. don't know what the Septuagint is. Um, so the, the Torah, the Bible, essentially. First five books. Well, that's the, the Pentateuch, the, the Pentateuch, but not, and not the Torah, the Tanakh, what is known today as the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible mm-hmm. at the time of Christ in Greek was the Septuagint. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there's a, there's a reference to the number 70, whatever. I don't know all of the history on it. What I know is that was their Bible. Mm-hmm. They had a Greek translation, a Koine Greek translation of the Hebrew and the Aramaic that we have that's translated our Old Testament. Mm-hmm. But their common language was the Greek. This is their translation. Okay, and this is an English translation of it. So I will acknowledge that this is the translation of a translation. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know that it would be word perfect. Won't be word for word. It won't be perfect. And, um, but what I like about it is that it's just a little bit more wordy than our translation is today. Does it lend clarity? It does. It That's does, important. it does then. lend a little bit of clarity. Um, but for the sake of a devotional, I like it. I like it a lot. I'd like to hear it. Okay. So I'm going to start. And this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 4 and read all the way through verse 9. All right. Nine. The Shema is through verse 5, but I'll, I'm going to continue through verse 9. So here we go. And these are the ordinances and the judgments that the Lord commanded the sons of Israel when they came out of the land of Egypt. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you will love the Lord your God from your whole mind and from your whole soul and from your whole strength. And these words that I am commanding you today shall be in your heart and in your soul. And you will impress upon your sons and speak on them when sitting in the house and when walking on the road and when lying down and when rising up. And you will fasten them as a sign upon your hand and it will be a permanent thing before your eyes and you will write them upon the doorpost of your houses and the gates of your towns. For devotional, I just, I just like that. It, it just digs into it a little bit more, and the wording is a little bit different. Because we normally, we read this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your strength, or with all your heart, your mind, and your strength. And this says from, from your whole mind. So there's not a piece of my mind from which I love anything else. You mean not just 10%? Not just 10%. (laughs) There is not a piece of my soul, there is not a piece of my strength that loves anything else but God. That's the command. Why do you have to keep it before you? You have to keep it before you to remind you. We have to be reminded. Would you say that's a road sign? Oh, absolutely. How about a life sign? Yes. And what happens if you're going down the road and you're not following the signs? You get lost. You get lost. Yep. Or you go too fast and you get pulled over. Or you do something silly and you get in a car accident. Yep. All of those things. So to kind of go back to what you were saying right before I jumped into this, when we do devotions, the tendency is to read something quick because that's, that's what devotions have kind of become in our culture. It's a, it's a two-minute, five-minute spending. Quick, we're a quick culture. We are a quick culture, but it's a, it's a very short time spending in the Word of God so that I can say I spent time in the Word of God today because I read this devotional. Can you define to me what the word contemplative means? Uh, contemplative means that's something you think about. You spend time thinking about. You ruminate on it. Um, you meditate on it. You spend time thinking about it. And um, I don't remember the exact reference, but when I was studying the Old Testament, um, when I think it's Joshua, either at the end of Deuteronomy or at the beginning of the book of Joshua, talks about meditating on these words day and night. Mm-hmm. What, so why? Why did you have to meditate on them? But but meditate to them wasn't what it means to us. That Hebrew word is chew, is to chew on it. Mm -hmm. You chew on it over and all the time. And we use this word ruminate. Well, what else is that word used? In agricultural Uh terms, ruminate is a cow chewing on its cud, right. right? They got four stomachs, and they chew a little bit, it goes into a stomach, it comes back, they chew on it some more, it goes away, it comes back, they chew on it some more. That's what we need to be doing with Scripture. Do you know there's a picture of that? Where's the picture? The picture is that there's a symbolism of that. Okay. Okay? A cow doesn't look so good chewing. No. However, what if I told you the facets of a diamond. Okay. As light is passing through the many facets, it's one stone. Right. Okay. It's one light. Yep. It's many colors. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, is that when you meditate upon the word, you're meditating on the one stone mm-hmm. with many facets to be able to see the light. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. So when it comes to these devotions, and I'm going to urge people, stop by the table, and if you're on your way to something else, at very least stop by and grab pick one, one of, up. Grab one of the sheets, pick one of them up, and uh, spend your week chewing on that devotion. Actually, after this week, not this week, because this week is already printed. 
Okay. But after this week, when you come by the table, you're going to get a chance to be in the pink. What does that mean? The devotions are going to be printed on pink paper. Okay. <laughs> and the reason I'm doing that okay. Okay, is twofold. Um, white paper gets lost too easily and gets misplaced and gets oh, yeah. forgotten. Um, if you have a colored piece of paper that is unusual, it is easier to find. Even if you have put it down and all of a sudden something prompts you, you got a piece of paper that has an idea. Mm-hmm. And now you're called to be able to find that idea. And the best way to do that is look for the pink. Yep. Yep. Look for that pink. And piece the second of paper. reason okay. why it's pink is, is that I had a lot of pink um, paper that I used to use for invoicing in my business mm-hmm. when I did three part invoicing. Yep. And yep. subsequently, I have no use for the pink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'm not supposed to waste anything. No, waste not, want not. So right. we'll we'll gladly use your pink paper for that. That's uh, that's actually kind of amazing. All right. So the Shema, this love the God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. That's not the only time we see that. Jesus said it too. Jesus said it too, and we've got another scripture here that you may have heard of, you might be familiar with listener out there in the world, um, you might be familiar with it. It's the greatest commandment. Mm-hmm. Jesus has been cornered, more or less, by the Pharisees. And uh, somebody asks him, well, teacher, what is, what's the greatest commandment out of all the law? And he tells them something that they should already know. And then he adds to it. He says, well, you already know the greatest commandment. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And second, where he adds, is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now, the Pharisees didn't like this too much. They've got something like 612. I don't remember the exact number. Mm -hmm. They have over 600 laws. They have taken Leviticus and they have taken Deuteronomy and, and throughout the prophets and throughout the writings, they have taken things and created this legalism with a book that nobody could possibly ever live up to. With the right to add to. With the right to add to, yeah. They've already added plenty at this point. And so he tells them, every law that every law that you need to follow hangs on these two things, love God and love people. Love God and love people. And that's... Uh, that's something that I've actually spent a fair amount of time meditating on. I have chewed on this verse, and I will continue to chew on this verse until the day I die, I'm sure. Every person you meet is measure to chew. Yes. 
so it's it's about loving God and it's about loving people. And what's amazing is these these 600 laws started from 10. And you and I were talking about this before we hit the record button and I was a little excited about it. There was no law before they exited Egypt. No. There was an awareness, but there was no law. There is an awareness, but there's no law. Now, if we look at, if we look at the timeline, right? Biblical scholars say that today the earth is roughly 6,000 years old. Mm-hmm. So we know we've got just shy of 2,000 to the resurrection. From the resurrection back to, um, sorry, back to Moses, is about another 12 to 1,500, depending on who you ask and what they're exactly looking at. So we've got 3,500 years. We'll make it short on the other end, right? 3,500 years that we've had the law. If we're 6,000 years old, that means there was... Half the time. There was 2,500 years, anywhere from 25 to 2,800 years before Moses, that there was no codified formal law. How many years were the Israelites in Israel before they were let out? Do you know? You mean in Egypt? In Egypt, yeah. 400. 400 years. Yep. So for 400 years, do you think whatever Abraham had taught his children maybe got distorted? I, I think that's exactly what happened. You yeah. know, it's interesting. If you look at the, you look at the original tribe mm-hmm. that settled Egypt. Right. Okay. Out of all of those people... There were only two that followed after God. We know about Joseph. Right. And Joseph vouched for his brother Benjamin. Yep. But based upon what we know about his older brother's behavior Mm -hmm. and how they treated him. Yep. Okay. They needed some work. They needed a lot of work. And apparently they didn't have a whole lot of law to live by. No. No, they didn't. They only had one law. Did you know what that one law was? What was it? What does Jacob or Israel want? Yep. That was the law. Yeah, everything was father-driven. That's right. Every it, it was very, very, very strict patriarchal society. But then again, if you take a look at Jacob, what's he noted for? Wrestling with God. What was he noted for before that? What's his nickname? Being being a bit of a swindler. He's called the grabber. Okay. Okay? Because he was he was grabbing hold of his brother's foot, being the second born. And he demonstrated that he was a grabber throughout his young adult life. Right, because yeah, we all we know the story of uh trading his Birthright. Well, buying his brother's birthright with a right. bowl of stew. Yeah, and then yep. he tricked his father for the blessing. Yep. yep. So not exactly the cleanest guy in town. No, <laughs> no, not by a not by a long shot. And you know what they say about the children of the father? 
they don't fall far from the tree. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And how far, how long does the influence of the father affect the generations, according to the Bible? Um, unto four generations. Four generations. Okay. Yep. So we need to be careful what we do today because it could be affecting our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren tomorrow. It could be. It very well could be. So, so then they're in Egypt for 400 years. Mm-hmm. And they're living under Egyptian rule. And although they're a separate community, the Egyptian gods are all over the place. All right, little g gods, because Egypt has a whole bunch of different deities for everything. What was Aaron's job in Egypt? Do you know what Aaron's job was in Egypt? I know he was a metal worker. Was he, was he, he cast idols. That's right. He was a craftsman for the gods. Yep. Okay. So he built all of the Egyptian gods. They weren't strange to him. That's how come he had the skill to do this cow. And that's why they asked him to and do the cow. And that's why they asked him. That's why they asked him. You know what's interesting about that? What's that? They didn't count the cost. No, they didn't. And they gave away that which was given to them to leave, mm -hmm. which was gold, because the Egyptians didn't want them anymore, and they wanted to literally bribe them out of the country. Pl right. Please leave. Please leave. Yep. <laughs> but sub subsequently, when they wanted a god, they had to give up what they were given. Mm -hmm. And literally, when we choose a different God other than the true God, right. we're giving up what we've been given. Yeah, that riches and that wealth mm -hmm. that we have promised to us. Yep. So they leave Egypt after 400 years of living with the Egyptian gods. And the Egyptians have gods for everything. And now they have this law. They have these 10 words. And we know what they are. I am the Lord your God. No other gods before me. Don't bear my name in vain. Honor your father and your mother. Don't commit adultery. Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't, don't covet and compare and want what other people have. That, very, sound, that sounds like human beings. It does sound like human beings, but at the heart of it, but at the heart of that whole thing is just love God. At the heart of all of it is love God and love people. What does it take to love God? A whole lot. What do you have to start with? I think you have to start with trusting him. I think you have to start with faith, with believing with me, I had to surrender to the fact that he was God and I wasn't. Yeah, there's definitely a part of that. There's definitely a part of that. And, you know, for, for our listeners, I just, I just want to remind you that you don't always surrender to an enemy. Sometimes the best thing that you can do is surrender to an ally 
and God's the best ally we have. Actually, he's a benefactor. Well, there is that too. There is that too. I was using it more as a, a juxtaposition mm-hmm. to position one against the other. But, but yeah, we loving God takes a whole lot. When you, I don't know about you, Dustin. Okay, yeah. but I'm going to ask you this question. Sure. Because if I had to answer the question, okay, I would fail at even the answer of the question. Right. But here's the question. Mm-hmm. Have you ever strayed from God and things went wrong? Oh, absolutely. So the moral to the story is when you stray from God? Things can go wrong. Things can go wrong. Same here. When I stray from God, things can go wrong. Now, does that mean even if you're together and tight with God, that you can't have difficulties? Well, no, that's... You're going to have difficulties. And the reason why is? Because God has an enemy that uses us to get to him. It goes back farther than that. It goes back to the original parents. Yes, it does. And the problem is, is is that going back to the original parents, every baby who's born, even though the baby is not conscious of it, carries with them the same desire that the original parents did. Mm -hmm. And that's called to disobey. Yep. Actually, for a baby, a baby just wants what the baby wants. Right. But we grow up still being big babies. We want what we want. Right. Some Somehow, somewhere along the line, we don't learn how to not be egocentric. Well, it's really hard not to say me. Mine. <laughs> <laughs> mine, mine, mine. Uh So one of the things, one of the things in this Christian walk, in this Christian Christian life, is trying to be more like Jesus. I think that's fair to say, right? The goal is sanctification unto glorification, right? Why, li- gro- why like Jesus? Why like Jesus? Well, Jesus was the perfect sinless man. Ah, what was that word? Perfect, sinless, man. Man, right. So now he is not a who is he, a what is he, uh, how does he operate? Because in the past, before Jesus, God was somewhat of an ambiguity. Right. But with Jesus, he is right there in your face. Yes, he is. But you know what? What? His words are marvelous. Yes, they are. But his actions are worthy of our attention. Yes. Oftentimes we hear the words and we disassociate with them from the man, Jesus, who is the Son of God. Right. And I think that's why I kind of lean towards the, um, the desire to be like Jesus instead of doing what Jesus said. You know, I want to have, I want my heart to be more like Jesus' heart. 
I want my actions to be more like his. And I think that that lends itself, that idea tends to come more from that that love and that reverence and that awe and that wonder instead of from a place of legalism. Do you know that I was reading just this week, and I didn't like reading it because it's a true fact. Okay. The Church of Scotland okay. just got done with their annual meeting. All right. And they're having to close 60, was it, 60 churches. They have to, they're going to close 60 churches this next year. Wow. And they said that they've gone from a membership in 30 years of 1.3 million members down to 80,000 active members. And they said they just can't keep parishes open only for a handful. You said from 1.3 million to 80,000? To 80,000 is what they have for active membership now. Wow. I'm going to do the math on that. Let's see here. 80,000... One point three million. Wow, that is that is a decrease of ninety four percent. Did you ever hear of a thing called a remnant in the Bible? Yes. It's funny that there's always, whenever there's a falling away, there's always a remnant. There's always that those faithful few that hang on. And all the way from the Old Testament through the very end of the New Testament. Yep. Okay. It's always the remnant, okay, that God is coming to help and to serve. Yes. But I've always wondered, why so few? Why so few? Why do so many walk away who knew to only leave a remnant? I have pondered that. In the last three years, I have spent a whole lot of time wondering about that. Especially considering the COVID season, with churches closing, reopening, and upon reopening, having fewer people, significantly fewer people. And as COVID restrictions have been released over time, a lot of churches haven't had those numbers rebound. Most churches are today at 30% reduction pre-COVID. That's right. what they've been experiencing. Nationwide is 30% have not returned. Right. And that's the average. Mm -hmm. That's the average. So some of them, that means that some churches are the same are growing and some churches are less than a third of what they were look at the shortage that there are of ministers pastors for churches right look at the could just call and just look at what the seminary attendants are are those people even applying to go to seminary 
not yeah, like it used I'd... to be. No, and I, you know, I was finishing my degree during COVID. Mm-hmm. And one of the things in my my last my last couple classes were were during COVID season. And the numbers were about the same. But most of my classes had less than 20 people. And once I got into grad school, it was 8 to 12. And that's in a fully online class. Really? Yep. Huh. 8 to 12 people. And you can't afford to run a class in person for 8 to 12 people. No. The economics no, aren't which, there. Right, which thank God that the online option was available. So uh-huh. So anyways, back on track here. Oh, I was going to say one more thing. Oh, go for it. My observation. Yes, sir. Is a lot of people even coming to church their motivation isn't right. Say more on that. They're looking for instant gratification. Mm-hmm. Okay, they're looking for the prize in the Cracker Jack box. Right. But the problem is, is, is that their attitude, their motivation is not right because they should not be coming to see what it is that they can get. Right. They should be coming to see to offer what they can give. Right. Worship is about giving. It is. It is, but our culture is a quick-fix culture. I'm having troubles. I'm having trials. I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to worship God so that he takes my trials away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do you get the rabbit out of the hat? You go to church. Yep. Yep. That's what you do. But when that doesn't work, you don't go to church. No, you stop coming. And that's, I can say, I, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty of that. When my brother passed away, when I was young, I stopped going to church. It took a little bit of time, but I, I faded away from church because I wasn't getting anything. You, any just, of the clo- stu- you just closed up. Any, any of the stuff that I thought I needed, I wasn't getting. And I was looking for those answers. I was looking for that resolution. I was looking for all those things. And uh, he didn't have any age appropriate, appropriate grief counseling. You didn't have anybody well, taking right. you by the hand and listening to your feelings. I didn't have a lot of things. Um, but what I can say is that I was, I was in a consumer, me focused situation. I was trying to get something out of church instead of bringing something to church. Right? God God says, Jesus says, take my burden and I'll take yours. Right? I'll, I'll take your heavy burden. Mine is light and easy to carry. Let's trade. And sometimes we come to church not wanting to lay it at the foot of the cross, but wanting a better way to carry it. Well, Dustin? Yeah. 
There was a time in my life that I was challenged. Okay. I was accused of being a Christian because of what I expected to get from Jesus. Okay. And I was challenged to stop worshiping Jesus' hands and start worshiping his face. Mm-hmm. Focus on his eyes than what he has in his hand. He says, because all too many Christians, when they don't get what they want by focusing on Jesus' hands, they neglect his face. Right. No, I like that. I like that. And I just, one more thought from your, from your devotional here. And it kind of goes with what you were just saying, but God's love prevails in Jesus. If we're focused on his face, it's impossible to miss that love. It's impossible to not feel loved or to feel unloved. It's impossible to not be humbled because in Romans 5, 8, and 9, that we know, and I'm not reading, I'm going to paraphrase, God's, God's greatest act of love is that while we were still sinners and still his enemy, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. He didn't wait for us to become righteous. And if he did, he'd still be waiting. We know that. But God gave us such a gift in that Jesus died for us as his enemy. And I think if we focus on the face, it's impossible to miss that. What's the difference between a physical sacrifice versus a philosophy? I would say quite a bit. One's a proven fact. Yep. The other one is an idea at best. Right. More people live a philosophy, but they don't realize the sacrifice, the fact, the truth. Right. So, if you have a choice, do you want to live by an unproven idea? Or do you want to live by the fact, okay, that your sins can be and will be forgiven? Mm-hmm. And that the life you live now is only a portion of your eternity. Which will you, cho- which will you choose? Will you choose in eternity with God and his son? Or will you choose the kind of life that you are already living? Because it doesn't get any better than the life you're already living. Mm-hmm. Right. You're right. And uh, if we are, if we're focused on the sacrifice, if we're focused on what Jesus did, 
I think that's when we start to seek his heart instead of just following his words. Sometimes we forget something. Jesus volunteered for that pain. Yes, he did. He did. I actually had a, uh, I had a theology professor who has a very distinct point of view, and I'm sure it's, he's not the only person with it, um, but it was, it was definitely an interesting point of view and a perspective that I had not considered before, and that is nobody killed Jesus. His life was not taken from him. He brought his life to the cross and offered it. That's When I heard that, that was pretty profound for me. To change that shift from they took his life to he gave it. He's been referred to as the Lamb of Promise. Mm-hmm. All through the Old Testament, yep. there's this lamb mentioned. And the representation of the lamb is sacrificial for forgiveness of sin. And Jesus became that lamb because he chose to be that lamb. Yes, he did. Yep. All right. Well, I think in the interest of time... That's a great place to end. Yes, it is. So you are going to be at one of the central tables yes. on Sunday after listen, service. Look for the tent, listen for the music. Look for the tent and listen to the music. All right. Any parting words this week, Steve? Well, how about the last thing at my devotion? All right. Okay. Give, it, give us a parting word here. The greatest thought I want you to think about. Mm-hmm. The love of God is deeper still. Yes. And if you read Psalm 42, you will find that God's love is deep, but he also calls to deep. Yes. Yes, he does. It's a great way to end it. A great ending thought. The love of God is deeper still. If you chew on nothing else, mm -hmm. chew on that for the rest of the week. That's right. All right, Steve, thank you so very much for coming in. Always a pleasure.